Heavenly Father, we ask that you bless our time together, and we also ask that you bless the reading of the Scripture. We're going to look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. We'll read down to verse number... Well, I won't keep you standing. Uh, we'll read but verse number 16 to verse number 22, and then you can be seated, and then we'll read the rest of it later as we go through our text this morning. But uh, beginning with verse number 16, we read that the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And so they called together the whole band. Uh, the whole band was a cohort of about 600 soldiers. And so they clothed him with purple. They plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed. They then did spit upon him, bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him. They put on his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto a place, Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. Father, in the name of Jesus, again, bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this morning we want to look at this, dealing with three areas. Jesus Christ has been through all the various proceedings that the Sanhedrin wanted him to go through. They met with Caiaphas, the high priest. Uh, they have found him guilty. And so now they bring him before Pilate, and Pilate does not find him guilty. Pilate says he is innocent and he is a just person. And uh, Pilate then washes his hands of the whole situation and uh, gives to them what they're asking, releases Barabbas unto them because that was the custom, and uh, turns Jesus over after scourging him, thinking maybe with all the scourging they would uh, have pity on Jesus and let him go. Uh, but no, they were hell-bent on having him crucified. So we come to this place where, number one, Jesus is led away from the hall of Praetorium to the hill of Golgotha. They refer to that as the Dolorosa, or the Via Dolorosa. It's a pathway of sorrow. Jesus is now condemned and must bear the cross. And in bearing the cross, he must carry a portion of that cross from Praetorium, that was their custom, uh, to the hillside of Golgotha, there to be crucified. The Jewish people, not Pilate, was the one that had him crucified. Pilate took water, washed his hands before the multitude, and Pilate said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. But we read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27 and verse number 25, these haunting words, the Jewish people then answered, and they said, His blood be on us and on our children. What a horrible situation they have put themselves into. So afterwards, Jesus was severely scourged 
by scourging him, they would take a reed and they would beat him over the head several times until his head was bloody. They would take a cat of nine tails. He received 39 stripes across his back. The cat of nine tails was usually a, a metal strap with a handle at the end of it. And on the other end of the straps was fragments of metal and bone. And a very strong soldier would take uh, that uh, scourging whip and uh, he would swing it across his back 39 times uh, as it uh, came across his back and through the sides of his rib cage, it would rip the flesh all the way down his back, along his buttocks, and probably down to his thighs. Uh, he went through a tremendous beating, lost a tremendous amount of blood. And then after the scourging, they would tie uh, the uh, the cross member of the cross uh, to his back and to his arms. It usually weighed about 125 pounds. Uh, the post in which the cross member was attached to weighed anywhere from 175 pounds to as much as 200 pounds. Uh, they would not drag that along. That was at already situated at the hill of Golgotha. Uh, since they did many crucifixions, uh, it was attached to a, a metal uh, type of a lever to where they could bend it down and attach the cross member on it, nail the person, the victim, to that cross, and then erect it and drop it into a hole. It would drop in about three to four feet. When it hit the bottom, it would joint the body to where many times uh, the arms uh, would be pulled out of socket. Uh, and so <clears throat> Jesus is on his way to that place of crucifixion. As he is carrying this heavy beam, he is now walking a distance of one half a mile, but it is a very arduous distance on his way to Calvary. As he goes from Praetorium uh, to the hill of Calvary, Calvary is what we understand, the place of the skull, that is written in Greek. Golgotha is the Hebrew word for the place of the skull. As he goes down the pathway, he is mocked, he is ridiculed. It's during the time of the Passover, there are hundreds of thousands of uh, patriots coming from all the various parts of the country, Jews, uh, and proselytes of uh, the gate and proselytes of righteousness. These would be Gentiles. Gentiles <clears throat> that had been circumcised were called the proselytes of righteousness. They were allowed to enter through the temple gates into the courts of the Gentiles. Those that were considered <clears throat> uh, that were not the proselytes of righteousness but the proselytes of the gate they had not been circumcised. These were Gentiles that were allowed only to go to the gate of the Gentiles. And so it was during the time of the Passover and that there were hundreds of thousands of Jewish and Gentile proselytes that were coming to present an offering for the atonement of their sins during this time called Passover. For they wanted God to pass over their sins. 
And God <clears throat> was working in a very special way during that time. And they believed that. And there were many converts at that time that had turned to the Jewish faith as Gentiles. And so they'd heard about this man who claims to be a king, who claims to be a rebel rouser that wants to divide the country and, and uh, bring problems and trouble to Jerusalem. And so they come with the news that they hear. They're very angry. They're lining the streets as Jesus now is being brought down the Via Dolorosa. And that they are spitting at him there. They have their reeds. They're hitting him as he comes along. They're mocking him. Uh, and he goes along the roadway there. It's a roadway of sorrow. In fact, we're told in Psalms 22 and Isaiah 53, as they had prophesied concerning this event, Isaiah said he would be despised, he would be rejected of men, he would be a man of sorrows, he would be acquainted with grief. There would be some that would stand by that knew Jesus, that still loved him, that still believed in him, when they saw how badly he was beaten. They would see his face, it was unrecognizable. As the soldiers took their fist and pounded him in the face time and time again, as they blindfolded him and said, all right, if you're the great Messiah, you claim to be God, prophesy and tell us who it is that smote you on the face. As he walked by with his back uh, beaten and bleeding and, and uh, flesh torn, uh, the prophet said some hid their face from him. We read it again in Isaiah, as it says he was acquainted with grief, and there were those that hid us, it were our faces from him. And he was despised, and he was esteemed not. And so they looked upon him, and others turned their head away because what they saw was so grotesque and so hard to look at. They just could not bear to look at it, so they turned away. Now, this is the pathway that he went down. I would imagine somewhere about halfway down this uh, pathway of sorrow, the weight of that 125-pound beam, beam that was tied to his shoulders and tied to his arms, the weight of it became so heavy that he collapsed under the weight, and he could no longer bear the weight. The Word of God makes it very clear as we read in Psalms 22, verse number 6 and 7, he declared himself as a worm, a man that was a man that was a man of reproach and despised of the people. And all that saw him, they laughed him to scorn as he fell upon his knees under the weight of that beam. And so the centurion called for someone to help him, to take the beam and carry the beam for him uh, to the cross or to the hill of Calvary, so that they could continue on. And there was no one there. I'm sure that the disciples stood afar off, and they were in fear and in terror of what was happening, and they didn't want to get involved in the situation, so they were not willing to carry that beam. The people that stood by and watched, many of them out of hatred, uh, just mocked and made fun of him, and they were not willing to carry the beam. And so the centurion calls on a stranger, a man that came all the way from South North Africa uh, there to keep the Passover. It is prophesied in Psalms 22 
In verse number 15, he declared that my strength is dried up like posture, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. And there the Lord Jesus Christ is struggling to get to Calvary because he knows what his job must be, that he needs to hang on that cross and he needs to die as it was appointed by his heavenly Father. He went through that time there in Gethsemane as he prayed, fearing that death was near and fearing the fact that he would not make it to the cross. And he asked the Lord, if it's possible, make sure that that cup passes from me. And now his body has lost all strength. He has no power to carry on. And so now here is a man from Africa, a man that was of African descent, a Cyrenian. And so he is ordered to take up the cross and to carry it. This man that came, he came some 800 miles from north part of Africa on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. As he traveled that 800 miles, I'm sure he brought his family. I'm sure that he brought something along uh, to sacrifice because it was quite expensive if you did not bring uh, your own sacrifice animals because the merchants there in Jerusalem were taking advantage of the situation. So perhaps he had already brought his own little lamb along with him. And now he sees Jesus. And Jesus is so horrendous, his face so beaten, his body so marred that people are turning away. And now he's ordered to take that beam and carry that beam. Not realizing that this is the lamb that's going to be offered up for his sins. And not only for his sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And so he carries this beam all the way to Golgotha. The beam is attached to the post and Jesus Christ is put upon that cross. And there those rusty spikes are driven into the palms of his hands and into his feet. And he's suspended between heaven and earth there to be offered up for our sins. As we read in Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, verse number 23 through verse number 32, we find that when he gets there, it's finally now the third hour of the morning. That would be about nine o'clock our time. And there at that third hour, Jesus is to be crucified. So we read in verse number 23, of Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when he was crucified, or when they crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, that every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand, the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by, they railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah! Thou that destroys the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. Come down from the cross. 
Likewise also the chief priests mocking and said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others himself, he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him also. Is there a napkin down here? Oh, excuse me. I was afraid that that would happen. Jesus was offered a sedative. They say that that sedative that was mixed with vinegar and myrrh had some kind of a, a drug in it. We're not sure exactly what it was. It could have been some opiate type of a drug that would ease the pain and ease the suffering. But he refused. He refused to ease the pain. He refused not to receive it. Why? Because he wanted to be touched with your infirmities. He wanted to understand what it is that you go through when you suffer the pain of death. As you go through the pangs of sorrow. And he didn't want anything that would help him to get through that. The Bible says, makes it very clear in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15. That he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. There upon that cross he knows what you go through. He knows the pain, the heartache, the sorrow. And he suffered all of that for you and for me. I think about the insensitivity of the soldiers there beneath the cross. It was prophesied a thousand years earlier that this would happen. In Psalms 22 and verse number 18, it was prophesied that they would part his garments among them and cast lots for his vesture. And there while Jesus Christ is hanging upon the cross, the insensitivity of those soldiers there gambling for his garments. While others watch and others mock. While others pass by. They say that when Jesus Christ was crucified there at Golgotha on what we know better as perhaps Calvary's Hill. There was a roadside that passed by on the way to Jerusalem. Thousands of people were passing by. Mobs of people were coming by. And they saw what was going on and they understood what was happening that this man was a man that was threatening to overthrow the kingdom. He was declaring himself to be king. And so they were coming by and they were wagging their heads and they were mocking at him. The whole world was against him. His disciples stood afar off denying him. And so the superscription was written. We read according to John's gospel in John chapter 9 and Verse number 19, or pardon me, John chapter 19 and verse number 19. Pilate wrote the title and put it on the cross. And the writing of the title was this, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then said the chief priest and the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Uh, 
And Pilate answered them, What I have written, I have written. The question I ask is, why? Why was it that they did not want Jesus to be referred to as the king of the Jews? It was because the word the, the definite article referred to him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And they didn't want people that were traveling and passing by and seeing that this man crucified being referred to as the king of the Jews, but that he said he is king of the Jews. That's very important for us to understand. Because the superscription that was pinned there upon the cross represented the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Because in the beginning, God made it very clear that he created the heavens and the earth. And we're told in the Gospel of John chapter 1 that the one that created the heavens and the earth is the Word of God. The definite article is in reference to the fact that the Word is God. It is mentioned three times in verse number 1. And then in John chapter 1 verse number 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we are told in Revelation chapter 19 that he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he was also called the Word of God. So therefore, these Jews were quite intelligent. They were not ignorant. They understood that that definite article gave reference to the fact that he declared that he is the king, that he is the word, that he is the great I am. And they did not want that definite article there. So they wanted it taken out. Satan wanted it taken out. Satan didn't want it there. We find today, I just looked at <clears throat> online and interesting from Botanica. They claim that just in the revised version, the first of the translations of the Bibles after the King James Bible was translated, Westcott and Hort translated the revised version. They used part of the authorized version because there were so many omissions from the manuscripts that they were translating from that they had to use part of the Masoretic and part of the Tectus Receptus because in the Sidiaticus and the Vaticanus and the Septuagint, there were too many omissions. Amen. According to Britannica, this revised version has 30,000 omissions of the Word of God throughout the Bible of that translation compared to the Tectus Receptus and the Masoretic text for which our King's James Bible was translated from. Now, if that's not alarming enough, Today, there's more than 100 modern translations that are on the market right now. The Word of God is under attack. Satan continues to attack the Word of God. He's doing everything he can to bring in New Age Christianity, New Age doctrine, to exalt the devil. The devil is referred to as the day star now. 
But the Word of God makes it very clear when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that went to the cross and died for you, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 19, the day star has been born in your heart and has lit up your life. We are told in Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 17, that day star is the bright and morning star. And these newer translations from over in the book of Isaiah chapter 14 where Lucifer is referred to as the morning, they call him the bright and morning star, or in some translations they call Lucifer the day star. We're living in a very satanic age. Satan is still at work. He's out to confuse people. The superscription was put there because according to Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 14, through the cross of Jesus Christ because he is the king. He is the word. He is the great I am. He is the great shepherd. He is the lamb that was offered from the foundation of this world. He is the one that is able to blot out the handwriting of ordinance that is against us, which was contrary to us, by nailing it to the cross. So Jesus, as we see, was numbered with the transgressors. In Isaiah 53, in verse number 12, it was prophesied that he would be numbered with the transgressors. He would bear the sins of many, but then praise God, because he is the king. He is the word, because he is the resurrection. He is now able to make intercession for us. So we read the final hour. As Jesus enters into the darkness that comes over the earth, it was just not there, but it was over the entire earth. I believe the eclipse took place over the entire planet. I believe darkness came at that time from the sixth hour all the way through the afternoon until we come to the ninth hour. From the third hour to the sixth hour, those three hours, there was light. But from the ninth hour, or from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness. There were two important events that happened during that time. First of all, Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross alone. There was no one that would stand with him. The Heavenly Father turned his back and turned away. Because from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, for the reason of the darkness, was typically in reference to the darkness of the sins of this world. And Jesus Christ was taking the sins of this world from the beginning of time to the end of time. And there upon the cross, in loneliness, he was bearing all the sins of the world in his own body. And so he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We see in verse number 33, 
And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, or Eloi, Eloi, lamach sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed to give him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come and to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. In Psalms 22 and verse number 1 that was fulfilled and prophesied a thousand years ago where he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus Christ was referring to his heavenly Father, Amen. as now his God, he was taking our place. He was not calling him Father, but he was calling him God. And he was standing before God, and it's a fearful thing when we stand before God. And our sins have not been washed away. But when the job was finished, he could then say, Father, Father, into thy hands I commend thy spirit. He was taking your place. And there in those three hours, he suffered all of eternity in a lake of fire for you and for me. What Jesus Christ did, what seems to be a, our thinking a moment of time, was at a moment of eternity for the Son of God. And yet he was willing to, to go down into hell and to suffer and to burn as a worm that you and I may never have to go to such a horrible place. And the wonderful thing is to solidify that God has now opened the way for man to come into his presence is when Jesus Christ gave up the ghost and committed it into the hands of his heavenly Father, his spirit and his soul. And his body then suddenly lay limp as he took his life from him. The veil that was in the temple Amen. was rent from the top to the half. We don't have time to get into this, but it's a wonderful study. It gives us the idea that redemption is now made possible, that man now has an entrance into the presence of God. We read in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse number 1 through verse number 9, that the veil was that uh, curtain that separated the priests from the holy place to the holy of holies. And that uh, the priest could go as often as he liked into the holy place every day to offer up sacrifices for the sins of the people that could never take away their sins. And the people that were standing out in the courts could enter into the courts of the temple and they could bring their offerings to the priest. 
And not only the high priest, but the priest that represented the courses that they served could enter in as often as they like, according to their curse course, into that holy place. But there was only one priest that could enter into the holy of holies, and that was the high priest. And he could only enter into that place once a year. And when he entered into that place once a year, he had to make sure that when he went in there that he did exactly everything prescribed according to the Levitical law. Because if he didn't, just like the sons of Aaron, he could be cursed and God would kill him. And no one was allowed to go in there. So according to tradition, he would go in there with a rope tied to his ankle. So if he did something wrong, they could pull him out of there. And when he came out, the Shekinah glory of God would come down upon the Holy of Holies, allowing them and giving them the understanding that their sins were atoned. And even in the days of Christ, they would see the image of God through the pillar that would come down. As it began way back during the times of the children of Israel, when they wandered in the wilderness, and God instructed them to build a tabernacle, and in that tabernacle was the Holy of Holies. And the pillar of God would come down as a cloud by day into that place. And God would move that pillar. And so they would move the tabernacle wherever God wanted it to go. And at night sometimes God would come down by a pillar of fire. And they would move it. That was the Shekinah glory of God. God's presence was with them. But when the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, God was through with the temple. God instructed that the temple be destroyed. Jesus prophesied the temple would be destroyed and the people would be scattered because God would no longer have any more dealings with the temple. The temple is no longer necessary. We have a high priest. And the high priest has entered into the holy of holies, not made with hands, but into heaven itself. Now to enter into the presence of our heavenly Father to make an atonement for our sins. Amen, amen and amen. And so the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus has provided a way for us to enter into his presence. We that put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through the work of Calvary can come into the very presence of God any time we feel the need to. According to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have a high priest, or pardon me, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So therefore, he says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of you see, the Holy of Holies have been opened up. And you can now enter in through faith. God has his ears open unto your prayers. 
as we by faith believe through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and through his glorious resurrection and by he going into heaven and entering into the throne room of heaven and there taking his precious blood and pouring it out on that mercy seat that has given us access. The middle wall of partition has been brought down. Whether we be Jew or Greek, we can all come before the Lord. God majors on mercy and grace. There is no sin so great that it could outperform God's grace. God's grace superabounds over all of our sins. God is so merciful and so loving that he was willing to go to a cross and take your place so that we might enter into his presence. Do you know him? Have you received him with every head bowed? I just wonder this morning, for you that have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever experienced that glimpse of looking into Calvary and understanding that Jesus Christ personally went to that place and died for you? And as you peer through your mind's eye into that place called Calvary? Has it ever touched your heart? Has it ever moved you to the place to where you would say, oh, dear Heavenly Father, by your grace, please do not allow me to ever go back to those sins that put you there. You see, once we get a true understanding of the cross, that within itself gives us the power and the desire to turn from our sins. And through that, we now have the grace to get God's help. God somehow, through the magic and through the wonder of his great love that was expressed through the cross, is able to give to you repentance. I just wonder, have you experienced that? And when you find yourself slipping away and stumbling back into those sins and God reminds you and it breaks your heart and brings you back to the cross, have you praised him and thanked him for what he has done for you? Friend, if you've never experienced that, then receive him. Because a part of salvation is repentance. That repentance and remissions of sin would be preached in his name among all nations. But repentance can only come when our hearts have been smitten. A broken and contrite heart God in no wise will despise. If we get a glimpse of Calvary, then we get the power of repentance. I just wonder this morning with heads bowed, is there anyone here that would say, Preacher, I need that. I need God's grace for the repentance that needs to take place in my life. I want his forgiveness. I want his love. I want to experience 
that feeling of love that comes into the hearts of believers, that gives to those people the grace to turn from their sins and turn to him. Preacher, pray for me. Is there anyone like that this morning?